Jesus once asked some fishermen to leave their nets and follow him. This meant they had to change their identity and their focus. They had to learn the ways of a new work, to connect their hearts to a new mission, to build new relationships, to give their time and resources, and allow a new character to be built within them. We may not be fishermen, but Jesus still calls us to and disciples us in a new life. So, will you leave your net when Jesus asks you? Well, last summer, we took our kids on a vacation to Montana. And on the way home, uh, we decided to stop at this really fun amusement park called Silverwood. If you don't know about Silverwood, it's in uh, northern Idaho. And it's like half water park and half amusement park. And it's pretty much a dream come true for my kids' age. And so we stopped, we had a 12-hour day, and after doing the water park all morning and most of the afternoon, um, you know, we hopped over to the amusement park and we were just beat, we were so tired. And especially my little guy who was seven at the time, um, just, he just needed a break. And so my husband looked at the schedule and he realized that there was a magic show happening like in 15 minutes. So we kind of looked at each other and we're like, okay, I think sitting down for this magic show for, you know, 30 minutes is probably going to be helpful for him and really for the rest of us. So we go in and I have to be honest, my expectations were quite low. I, um, I thought, well, I mean, like how good can a magic show be? Um, you know, at this type of place, like it's probably going to be pretty cheesy. And even my 12 year old daughter like, was like, mom, I don't really want to do this. Like you're wasting my ride time. We're like, we're just going to give it a try. And so we sat down and we got ready and it was a packed house. And the, the guys who were the magicians came on and you guys, who knew Silverwood has two full-time magicians on staff. And let me just tell you, it was epic. It was one of the coolest things that I've ever been able to see on stage. And they usually work independently, but we got lucky, I guess, and got to see them both at the same time. And they have different specialties and it was just mind blowing. It was so much fun and we all loved it. And it was the perfect kind of reset in the middle of the day. And one of the reasons why I know <laughs> that it was an amazing show is because it left me wondering for the rest of the day and even like later on, like in the week to follow, like how did that guy really make that girl levitate? <laughs> and how did he really read that person's mind? And there was just so many questions that were risen from this just incredible show that was funny and engaging. And it also kind of made me think like, what is it about magic that captivates us? That, I mean, it's a, it's a legitimate thing that people are interested in. Even now my eight-year-old son is learning, learning magic tricks. And I think a lot of it has to do with the piece of mystery and wonder that we are hardwired, um, that God has hardwired us to be curious, to want, want to know um, what's going on in the world, um, to appreciate wonder and mystery. And I think in our heart of hearts, like we really do want to see the miraculous happen. And so today we're gonna be doing a little bit of a deep dive on the topic of the resurrection. And I think that the resurrection is it's obviously way more than a magic trick because it's the real deal, but it, it is the thing that our hearts are longing for in terms of the wonder and the mystery of God. 
Well, there's usually like a text that kind of sticks out to me when I preach. And so I thought I would just share with you um, the one text that just kind of keeps rolling over in my mind as we prepare to think about the resurrection. So the the text is John 11. You'll all all know it. Um, And this is it. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I, meaning Jesus, am the resurrection and the life. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about resurrection. We're also going to be talking about what that means in our current life and how the resurrection gives us life and how it's applicable. Well, this spring, we're in a series called Leave Your Nets. And uh, today, we're going to be just be specifically talking about what does it mean for us to leave our nets in terms of our resurrection life in Jesus. Today and next week, we're going to be in the book of Colossians. And Colossians is one of my favorite books. Um, What I love about Colossians is it just has this incredible imagery about Jesus. And it's continually pointing us um, in poetry and in instruction about the goodness of Jesus and who who God has made him to be. So what I wanted to share with you a little bit about the Colossians um, before we get into the text from Colossians 3 is I think it's really helpful for us to understand where the Colossians were coming from, okay? So Paul is writing this letter from prison. Um, It's a church that he has not been to. Um, A friend of his comes and kind of gives a report. And the people of Colossia are are in this world of kind of coming from two different pressures. And I think the pressures are really similar to what we're going through today. Um, They're kind of the human condition per se. So one of the pressures is the pressure of paganism. So the vast majority of these people would have come out of a pagan culture, and the pagan culture where they lived in that area of what is today Western Turkey um, would have been a sense of, let's keep the gods happy, okay? So offering sacrifices, doing all the right things for the gods to keep them happy. Um, And when you became a Christian, the temptation would be to just include Jesus into that list of gods. And there was a real social pressure around this because as they forsaked the, the, the small g gods of the world, the people around them would have accused them of making the gods unhappy. And so if there was a natural disaster or an unfortunate circumstance, the Christians would have been blamed for not keeping the gods happy. So it wasn't just um, tricky for them in terms of their own mindset, but culturally in terms of the people around them, it would have been really complicated. And then the other thing that was facing them was the burden of so many of the Jewish Christians keeping these um, cultural and expectations around them in terms of circumcision and food and ceremonies. It was sort of adding in um, to their Christian faith. And so they are facing kind of these two sides. And both of these things are... Um, not complete, not complete examples of what it means to live a resurrection life, to be in these, these two areas of compromise, whether it's paganism or keeping on all the laws and all of the um, things like circumcision. And I think we can relate to these because on the same side, we sort of have the same dilemma, right? We are in a place where we're constantly faced with um, pulls to things like success, to materialism, to um, worshiping the idol of health, to worshiping the idol of the American dream. Um, All of these things are constantly facing us. And on the flip side, as Christians here in um, America and in the Western world, is we are continually battling against moralism, um, which for me is a real struggle of wanting my behavior to be good (laughs) and having the Christian faith be more about doing the right thing than about 
living the resurrected life of Jesus inside of me. And so that is the, that's the foundation that we lay as we go into Colossians today. And um, as we go into Colossians, I, um, I'm just going to start with reading the first part of Colossians 3, um, verse 1. So this is how Paul starts this little section off. Okay, so this is a transition in the letter. Um, and he's transitioning from teaching them about Jesus to how they should live. And this is, what, this is what Paul has to say. He says, since then, or sometimes translated, therefore, <laughs> since then, you have been raised with Christ. Okay, so since then, you have been raised with Christ. So he starts with the reality of the resurrection. And I'm just going to lead us off with this quote um, from Tim Keller. And Tim Keller has a lot of good work on the resurrection, and this was amazing to me. And this is what kind of got me thinking about the idea of magic tricks. So he says, the resurrection is not a stupendous magic trick, but an invasion. And the event that saved us, the movement from cross to resurrection, now remakes the lives of Christians from the inside by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I think that I love that because I feel like that reality that we are longing for magic um, helps us to understand that the resurrection is not just magic, but part of the reason why we like magic, right, speaks to that wonder and that captivation that we have around the new life that Jesus gives us. And so as we begin to think about the resurrection, I think there's two primary questions um, that we need to deal with. Um, the first question has to do with, did it really happen? <laughs> Right? And I think to have intellectual integrity in the culture that we live in today, it is important that we think about that. Um, that it's not just because, you know, our mom said so or because we learned it about in Sunday school. Um, but I think especially as we move into adolescence and adulthood, we do need to really consider, did it really happen? And what is the intellectual honesty around that? And I'm not going to go into the specifics of that today, but um, I do have a couple resources that I wanted to share with you to help you do that. Um, and part of why I'm doing that is I was thinking about how with my kids, I don't really want them Googling, um, Googling things, right? Like about their mental health or things that are really important. I would rather give them resources that I know are trustworthy. So I wanted to give you a couple of resources that I know are trustworthy. Um, and actually I reached out to my friend Jeremy Kidd and he helped me with this. So um, the first one is I wanted to offer to you the work of William Lane Craig. Um, I should say Dr. William Lane Craig. Um, he's a, a theologian and a philosopher. And he has a couple of really great videos on YouTube that would be a starting place. Um, and I'm going to say this twice in case you want to write it down. The first one is, did Jesus rise from the dead? Okay, did Jesus rise from the dead? And there's a part one and a part two. So that would be a starting place. And he has all kinds of stuff on his website, Reasonable Faith. And the second thing um, that Jeremy recommended, and it's actually something that I read with my, my daughter a couple years ago, um, is a book called Cold Case Christianity. And um, he has a website, he has a children's book for older kids, he has an adult book. Um, that would also be a starting place if you're interested in this, in this subject. Um, and I can also give you quite a few more academic um, re references if that would be helpful for you. So after we start off with, um, did it really happen? An important question. Um, we, move, we move on to the second part of that question right? Which is, um, what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus rose from the dead? Um, if it is a historical fact, which it is, um, what, 
how does that affect our life? Because um, obviously we know it's more than just a historical fact, like um, you know, most historical facts, it's more than that. It actually changes our life. So in the, in the Christian world, um, we, 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 we really celebrate the resurrection big on Easter, but what I've noticed is that we sort of intellectually know that it affects our life, but we often don't really think about like what is the bigger picture. And so we're gonna talk about that a little bit today. So really, the importance of the resurrection is not <laughs> that Jesus' death ended on a good note. It is so much more significant than that. The, the point of the resurrection is that it launches us, that it's a starting place into God's new creation. And so one of the, one of the greatest current scholars right now on the resurrection of Jesus is Tom Wright. And um, this is what Tom Wright has to say. He says, in the New Testament, we do not find a life after death in heaven, but a life after life after death, a newly embodied life and a newly reconstituted creation. And so I think this is really important for us to realize that we tend, we tend to, especially in America or in the Western world, to imagine that when Jesus talks about being the resurrection, that we sort of think about it in terms of heaven, right? Like the place we go after we die. Um, and there is definitely like a ton of hope for us um, in that. But I think the, the more accurate way of viewing the resurrection is for us to view the re resurrection as the thing after the place that we, after, after heaven, right? Heaven meaning like the place we go when we die. The place after that is where we think about the resurrection. And this also brings us to the point of asking the question, okay, God, like, if you are bringing the resurrection, why didn't you do it immediately? Like, why are we still in this in-between? And I think it really points to the reality of God's goodness and that he is at work in the world and he continues to draw people to himself. All right, so we know that the resurrection is not an ending place, but a beginning place. And that the, the purpose of the resurrection is um, not just to amaze us, but to transform us, right? To transform us. And we know that the, that the way that, that God chooses to do that in the world is through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to transition here a little bit into our main text of the day, um, the meat of it. So join with me now in reading Colossians 3, 1 through 4. And I think of this text as sort of Paul's, um, Paul's view of the resurrection in a nutshell, right? It's four verses on what he thinks. So I'm going to read the whole thing to start off with. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So in this passage, this little nutshell of the resurrection passage, um, Paul basically starts with resurrection and he ends with the resurrection. And in the middle, he talks about that kind of messy middle, that messy in-between stage that we're all in, and how the resurrection of Jesus can impact and kind of seep into that messy middle. So he talks about the idea of setting your hearts on things above, okay, and setting your minds on things above. There's kind of two repetitions there about setting. And what I noticed about that is that there is an active reality to that that he is calling us to activate ourselves 
and to fix our lives, to fix our thoughts, um, to fix our way of being in the world, to fix that on the person of Jesus. And what I find fascinating about the way that he identifies that is it is on the resurrected Jesus, but it's also on the ruling Jesus. And so he reminds us um, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the God. And that is a reminder that Jesus is Lord, okay? That he is not just our savior, but he's also our Lord. And it's pointing us to the reality that Jesus is active in the world, that um, he is ruling, that he is reigning, that he um, is doing things in the world, and he is ultimately in charge now. And I think that that calls us um, not just to a place of intellectual assent on that, but it is a call that our hearts would trust him, that um, things around us seem out of control, that we live in a broken world. But as we think of Jesus seated at the right hand of God, it is a call for us to trust, um, to put our trust in him, to recognize that he is at work. And it gives us peace and it gives us confidence um, to trust that in the messy middle, that God is still working and has a plan. And so as we are in this journey of setting our minds, of setting our hearts on Christ, Really, the call is not to moralism. It's not for, you know, good behavior. The call is that God wants our affections, that he is calling us to set our affections on Jesus. And that is the place where we receive the life, the resurrection life. All right, well, you, if, if you're interested, you can read down in, in Colossians 3 um, further, which is where we're going to be next week. And there is this extensive list of like earthly things and heavenly things. And I'm not going to deep dive on that today, but um, I would just encourage you um, in your time this week to maybe think about that. Think about um, the peace of earthly things and the think of he heavenly things. Um, and just to sit and ask God, God, what, what would you have for me to, to lay before you today with that? So Paul continues in verse three and four, and he says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life, okay, remember, Jesus is the resurrection and the life, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory, okay? So that's referencing, again, the resurrection. And I think this is just a continual reminder for the, for the church of Colossae and for also for us that as we, um, as we go about our life in the world, that Jesus has for us a life that is richer, that is real, that is authentic, and that he is the source of that. And so just as I close out today, I wanted to just close out um, just with some reminders about the practical ways that we can set our affections on Jesus. How can we um, draw from the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit grow up in us some of that affection um, and that abundant life that Jesus has to offer us? So the first thing that I was thinking about was um, a practice that I have been trying to live out the last couple of years um, of just silence and solitude, which is not a popular thing in this day and age, especially in the land of smartphones. Um, but it's something that God has really been encouraging me to dwell on the last couple of years. Um, so at the beginning of the pandemic, like many of you, um, I was at home with all my people. And um, one of my roles was, was mom of helping the kids get on all the Zooms, right? And doing all the work. And I also had my husband in the background talking on his phone all the time um, <laughs> for work. So there was a lot of noise and energy going around my, my house and my mind. 
Um, and so I started to develop um, a really intentional practice of taking walks by myself. Um, and sometimes it was hard to find those and I had to like, you know, finagle around the scheduling. But um, there's a trail by my house and I would just go out. And I first, when I first started doing it, I started to listen to podcasts. And I think that there's really useful things about that. But what I realized um, over the first few weeks of listening to podcasts is that when I listened to a podcast, I wasn't really de-stressing myself or putting my affections on Jesus, right? It was kind of filling me with more stimuli. So I decided to just turn off the podcasts and I made my walks basically half an hour to an hour of silence and solitude. Um, and I spent that time just trying to quiet my mind and listen to the Holy Spirit and say, God, what do you have for me today? Um, what do you want to show me? And sometimes that was really hard, you guys. Sometimes when we silence the voices in our, around us, whether it's reading or listening um, or people, and we do find that our anxiety rises up. Or maybe we have things that come into our head that we're like, ugh, I don't want to think about that. Um, but that's okay, because a lot of times that's the point of silence and solitude, is for us to become aware of those things and to give them to God and to talk to God about those things. The reality is, is that in prayer, God wants us to bring our whole selves. And so much of the messy middle, we don't want to think about, but he wants to hear about it from us so that he can meet us in those places. So I think that is the gift of silence and solitude, or one of them. And the second thing that I want to um, just remind us of, and I mean, I, I know that we all know this, but I just want to remind us about the gift of scripture. And I think, um, so, so those of us that work for a church, like people kind of laugh, like, oh, you're a professional Christian, right? Like that's the joke. Um, but the reality is, is that we struggle <laughs> with a lot of the spiritual practices that everybody struggles with. And so I have been, um, just in the last few months, I've just been finding it harder than normal for me to read scripture. Um, and I'm, I mean, I'm still doing it, but for some reason it's, it's just been more of a struggle for me. And um, it can some, sort of like feel like homework is maybe how I would describe it. And so I just wanted to, to read this quote to you from Adele Calhoun, who writes about spiritual practices. And she says, spiritual practices don't help us work the system for a passing grade from God. They simply put us in a place where we can begin to notice God and respond to his word to us. And so if you need a fresh place to start um, with putting your affections on Jesus, um, I just thought today I would just give you a practical suggestion, which is just start in chapter one of the book of Colossians. And um, there's a lot there, and I would just encourage you to read it slowly and take notes and highlight and just think about what, it, what am I learning about the person of Jesus from Colossians 1? And how, does, how could this affect my life today? And the last spiritual practice that I just wanted to um, remind us of today is the spiritual practice of being in community. And um, I know that there is a lot of amazing things about community, and there can also be really hard things about being in community because it's in the messy middle, right? Um, but I have definitely experienced the abundant life of Jesus. Um, through spiritual friendships, through groups that I've been in. And I um, just want to remind you that um, there's lots of ways that you can practice community and spiritual friendships here at Harper Covenant, that we have an incredible variety of ways that you can serve um, and connect. And I'd love to help you with that if that's something that you're interested in doing. And so our calling is to be resurrection people. And our calling is to let the Holy Spirit rise up in us, to change us into the person of Jesus, 
And um, he is calling us to live out the hope of heaven, the hope of the resurrection um, in our lives today. And he's the one that does the work, that as we just open ourselves up, that we can trust that he will make, he will make room for himself in our lives. So as I close out today, I have three questions for you. The first question is, how does seeing Jesus' resurrection as the beginning of God's restoration plan give you hope for today? The second question um, speaks to the rest of Colossians 3, which you can read this week. What earthly things do your mind and your heart tend to gravitate towards? Okay, you can also think about that in terms of the paganism or the moralism. Like, where do you gravitate in that? And lastly, what spiritual practices help you to set your affections back on Jesus? Jesus.